it's Tanya Adlita with Recovering Church Girls, and I have with me today Alexis Dean. First of all, good morning, Alexis. Good morning. <laughs> Let's assume it, or at least hope that everybody is listening to this in the morning. Otherwise, you know, just know that we also mean good afternoon, good evening, good night, et cetera, and so forth. You know, it. wherever you are. Wherever you happen to be, whichever language yeah. you prefer. There's only so far I could take that conversation, though, before I would really be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'm I think just I just butchered say. the Spanish. <laughs> you did better than I could have. I promise There was something about learning Portuguese because uh, I had a great opportunity to go to Brazil, but something about learning Portuguese completely undid my French and Italian. So I feel like all of my Latin languages are a bit jumbled now. So Amazing. I won't even attempt it. <laughs> So with all of that being said, um, Alexis, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you as another fellow online entrepreneur. We were just talking about this idea of what happens when our online world meets our in-person world. And really when it comes to then this deeper conversation of kind of who we were in comparison to who we have now become and how we continue to show up in the world and the kind of service that we provide and things like that. So there's so many layers that we can really dig into with this idea. So thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, so here's a question for you. When I say recovering church girls, what comes up for you? What do you think about? How does that resonate with you? Um, oh my goodness, so many things. I, I would say for me, like the obvious first thing is that I grew up in the Catholic church and I went to Catholic school and, you know, I had my first communion, I was baptized as a baby, had my first communion and my confirmation and all those things, but never really, I just kind of accepted it like, oh, this is who I'm supposed to be and this is who I should be. And I did that really wonderful thing that we all do, which is just should all over myself (laughs) to like, oh, well, this is, you know, what a good Catholic girl does. And, you know, there's just so much around that. We could dive deep into that rabbit hole. But I think the first thing that comes to mind is just recognizing like who, not who I should be or, you know, who I, I was taught to kind of be through the church and through Catholic school and through you know, through religion and all those other things, but recognizing who I really am Mm. at at my core and who I really want to be. And then that's something that I get to define. I love that. I love that idea. So you had a double whammy, not just growing up in the Catholic church, but also Catholic school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) A lot of us, uh, a lot of, well, I mean, a lot of my community definitely like went to religious-based schools of one sort or another. A lot of people found themselves um, in that position. So yeah, it definitely changes things for you as a kid when you're completely surrounded. I even went to a Catholic university for my first year. That was a lot. <laughs> I totally understand. Yeah, I had the mix through high school. I had the mix of public homeschooling and a private Christian school and then went to a, an evangelical Christian charismatic, whatever other labels we want to throw in there, uh, <laughs> yeah. university. So, yep, I completely understand. So yeah. that makes me curious. Did you have like any one particular moment where you had this idea of, wait a second, what I've been told to be doesn't necessarily line up with who I really am? Or was it kind of a series of things that happened for you? What was your, you know, I'm going to use the word awakening and I'm going to use air quotes, <laughs> but what was that process like for you? Yeah, I think the first time I realized that perhaps the Catholic Church wasn't perfect um, was in high school when there was an entire summer where the Catholic Church um, was essentially preaching against homosexuality and against gay marriage. Mm. And I have gay family members whom I love very, very much. 
And I just could not reconcile the two things, you know, saying like, love thy neighbor and, you know, support each other and love your community. And yet here we are not accepting these members of our community. And that's what, you know, that's what people are. Um, and, you know, every Sunday having the homily, sort of a rant against homosexuality and against gay marriage. And I just, I started to sort of question things. And that was kind of the beginning of the end in a way. Uh, <laughs> not the end, but just the beginning of a pretty big change for me in my life. And you know, that, that opened the doors a little bit. I mean, I still, like, I was still going to church and, and, you know, um, really following the Catholic faith. And I think, like, a, there was a huge shift for me, and I've, I've spoken about this before, and I think it changes a little bit every time how we describe it, depending on the context, but I had never really explored other, other faiths or other views on Christianity or God or anything until, gosh, about four years ago. Um, and I, you know, I'd questioned the Catholic church and I'd sort of, I kind of stopped going to church regularly and I was, I became a CNE, you know, Christmas and Easter. <laughs> uh, we didn't have our family pew anymore. Um, but I'd never really explored anything different. And so about four years ago, I actually went to a meditation retreat at a Buddhist monastery in the jungle in Thailand. And it was eye-opening, like completely, you know, at first, like it's a silent meditation retreat. It's based on the Vipassana style retreats. Um, so it's 10 days of silent meditation and out there in the jungle, you're just, it's like 40 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Sorry, Americans. <laughs> very hot. You're essentially just sweating at all times. It's very humid, just, just sweating all the day. And uh, so I had this experience where, you know, they were doing a lot of the speaking and a lot of the chanting and stuff in Thai. So you know, that was easier because I didn't really have to connect with what they were sharing as far as their faith-based views were. But then when they spoke in English, I just, I found so much stuff coming up for me. Like right away, this resistance of like, oh no, that can't be right because that's not what I was taught as a child and that, you know, they're wrong. But like, okay, I'll sit here because meditation is supposed to be good for your brain, right? <laughs> and it was, it was really amazing to kind of watch myself and my internal dialogue and all that resistance built up based on what I thought I should be and who I mm. thought that I was and who I thought I kind of had to be, you know, um, in order to be a good person. And, um, you know, I didn't convert to Buddhism or anything over that, that 10 day period, but I really did start to listen to that internal monologue in a whole different way. Um, and start to recognize like what my real feelings were and what my real views on the world were and, and who I really wanted to be. You know, I didn't have like a awakening moment in that where I was like, okay, here it is, this is what I'm going to do. But it was just leaving with a sense of like, it is all okay to have, you know, to have these, these beautiful Buddhist monks here chanting and, and having their beliefs and for other people here, you know, there were Jewish people there and Muslim people there and, and people of all faiths that were there practicing in their own way. And like that, that was completely all right. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, yeah, that was pretty much it. <laughs> I love that. That sounds like a pretty magical moment too. I mean, just to be able to be with people that have all these different backgrounds and these different experiences and come and to share that moment together. I mean, as an event planner and someone who's been in the <laughs> events industry for forever, that's the kind of thing that I get totally like ooey gooey about because mm -hmm. it's really there's something 
that that brings people together that may not have had anything else in common up to that point, and yet there's this whole new jumping off point for new relationships to go deeper and wider based on that shared experience. So of course I love that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was something that was crazy too because the men and the woman are separated at that type of retreat, and you don't talk, so you're not you know you're not supposed to make eye contact with people. You don't, you know, communicate with, through sign language or anything. You really just do not talk to anyone, but you feel so connected to mm. people. That shared experience really builds like this in a, the weirdest way, but like a silent community and coming out of it, um, you know, a friend had kind of warned me, she'd done it before. And she's like, you're going to want to give yourself like a week before you have to come back to the city or come back to the real world. Don't fly home right away. Don't fly back up to the city. Just like give yourself a week, plan to take a holiday or something. And coming out of it, you know, the day after we were allowed to speak, we were, we were all leaving and we went to have lunch together and people were like, just like, I felt like I knew them. Like the woman around me felt like sisters and we ended up, a few of us, probably about 10 of us, went to an island and rented a house and it was, you know, amazing. And we just stayed together for like the week and it was, oh gosh, and we never fun. talked to each other. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was That's just amazing. Crazy. Yeah. 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 It was remarkable. That's <laughs> so fun. Okay, so you said something really interesting that I would love to dig just a little bit deeper in, this idea of should. And I love mm. what you said earlier, you know, that I should all over myself. Mm -hmm. And I think so <laughs> many of us can identify with that because that seems to be one of the pieces, whether men or women or non-binary, however we self-identify, this idea of should mm -hmm. is something that is just so incredibly pervasive for those of us that grew up in some sort of religious environment. And it became this idea of having to detangle who we should be, again, with air mm -hmm. quotes, versus who we really are and kind of coming back into ourselves. What was that like for you? And what did you find was the most helpful thing to kind of reconnect with yourself in such a way that you got the clarity to know who you really were versus who you were told to be? Yeah, I think that is like an everyday practice. <laughs> I don't think that's you mean a one you and done. Arrived? You're not. You're not done. You can't check that off your list. Here I am. I did a ten day meditation and woo! Ta -da! <laughs> Everything is happening for me. Uh, <laughs> I love that you say that though, because I think so often people assume. Well, if you're not X, then you must be Y. Right. And a lot of times we, we tend to shortchange the journey, which is really where the magic happens and the whole process of becoming ourselves. And there is something that is so beautiful and sometimes so painful in that entire experience. But that's really, that's really where this is all about. Yeah, completely. It is, you know, it's a bit cliche to say, but it is a journey. It is a practice. It is a daily thing. It is not a one and done. And I find, you know, as with all things, I'll take 10 steps forward and then <laughs> five steps back. And, um, you know, I have a good friend who always talks about expansion and contraction, and this is just the normal way of life. And, you know, I hope that when I expand and when I kind of come away from that should feeling into acceptance and um, you know, recognizing my strength that when I retract, I'm not retracting quite as far <laughs> or that I'm not stepping back quite as far. But yeah, it's definitely a process. And I think for me, it's just been a process of, of acceptance and learning to like genuinely not accept because I think, or I'm sorry, not accept to genuinely accept myself and all of, all of me, you know, and I think a lot of people talk about that and people are like, well, how can you accept your faults? Doesn't that just mean you're giving up? 
um, you know, or how can you accept your weaknesses if, you know, if, if you're still suffering from that weakness or there's still something that, you know, you're striving for, doesn't that mean that you're just quitting and just accepting it and rolling over and, you know, <laughs> waiting for life to just happen to you? And I think that's like a lot of type A people fall into that, myself very much included. <laughs> Those are almost the exact words that I said. Um, you know, when working with a coach a couple of years ago, I, just, I said, you know, like, I can't just roll over. I'm not going to accept myself for that. You know, that's so pathetic. But I think it really is like letting go of the shoulds is accepting all of you and recognizing that it is completely acceptable and beautiful and wonderful to be in a stage of growth for your entire life and mm-hmm. that there is no end point of perfection. Um, and yeah, that sounds maybe a little cheesy, but I think it's the truth. You know, it's just that daily practice. So for me, that daily practice is, you know, I practice meditation and I don't practice it in a, you know, another practicing Buddhist or anything. Um, but it's just taking that moment in the morning to silently, um, recognize kind of where I am and, and be an observer of myself rather than being in all those thoughts and in all the work and just so in it all day. Um, and really appreciating myself and, and where I'm at with everything. So, yeah. I love that idea of appreciating yourself because I feel like for me anyway, that was a huge piece of this journey that there was always this drive in me to strive to get the gold stars and, you know, to be the good little girl or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. the case might be. And I, I found that at some point in time, the behavior became more valuable than me as a person. And Mm. that was something that I had to get very intentional about undoing and to be very in the moment, you know, in that entire experience of like, yep, I might be really messy today and that's okay. And to really embrace that and accept that. Yeah, completely. And I think all practices can even become like that. Like even the practice of meditation, people who are like, okay, checklist, I did the meditation today. And here <laughs> I am being a good entrepreneur. I got up at 5am and I did the meditation and I did the da, 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 and then I journaled. Da, 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 da. And it's like, yeah, it's about this doing the things rather than actually being the person. <laughs> right, exactly. Being in that moment instead yeah. of trying to live ever so slightly, I think, ahead of it. Because, yeah. you know, there is something definitely as the the people pleaser and the perfectionist and the workaholic, I like my mm-hmm. checklist and I like yeah. that sense of satisfaction because it's a way of knowing, you know, kind of the, it comes back to the worthiness, which I think I would still say carefully, but I would still say that that also comes as a side effect from growing up in the church because we have this very foundational belief that is, you know, kind of presented to us on all, on all sides, like there's nowhere for us to go from here other than the idea that what we do could be construed as being more valuable as who we actually are. Was that something that you ever encountered? And especially again, being on the entrepreneur side of things, because that's a language that you and I both know and we can understand really well. Mm -hmm. How did that show up for you when it came to being the life of an entrepreneur? how did, how did the worthiness piece show up for me or like having it? Yeah, I think there was that element of, of having to prove to myself and to my family and to everyone else that I could hustle harder, that I could be more, you know, that I I could be this like ultimate entrepreneur person and that, you know, I was going to grow my team. So my other business is a, a corporate business. It's not online, doesn't have anything to do with any of this stuff, but I run corporate team building and training programs. 
And I just wanted to like have the biggest clients and, you know, had to have all the, the brands on our website, like the first year. And it was just, you know, hustle yourself into the ground to prove that you can do this, that you are a real entrepreneur, that you are, you know, someone that people should be paying attention to and to prove in a way, like I love my family and they do not apply this pressure to me in any way. So I don't want to imply that, especially if they're listening. Um, <laughs> but to prove to them that this chance that they kind of took on me, you know, because I did have some family support to start that, that I was worthy of that um, in a way. And that is not because they put that on me. That was just myself. That was really proving all of that proving energy. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, I think it tends to be the case across the board from what I've seen that we internalize these things. So I would say mm-hmm. the same. My my parents have been incredibly supportive. I'm an only child. And there are times where I look back and I see very much that the structure and the construct in the way that I was raised help inform the way that I think about things. And yet at the same time, do I ever think that my parents explicitly would say any of these types of things? No, of course not. And if anything, the exact opposite of, you know, we believe you, we support you, we want to see all the good things happen in your world. And they still say that to this day. And I'm, you know, Mm -hmm. what, 41, almost 42. So I'm so grateful for that. And it's been interesting, I think, to hold space for the unpacking of the things that no longer serve me and all of the good, warm, fuzzy things that we still, you know, have in our relationship now, much less growing up. When you were kind of in this process within the past couple of years, has that been a tension for you at all? Or has that always been pretty, pretty cut and dried between the unpacking and the relearning? Oh, I definitely think that's like a tension. (laughs) And I think for most people that have gone through something like that, Um, that even, like I said, you know, I had that kind of transformational experience, but that it continued like over the past few years, it continues to be, you know, having to step back and recognize like, am I doing this because of the shoulds? Am I doing this because of what I was taught or, you know, just, it's not even like you said, it's not about your family or your friends or anyone even saying those things directly, but it's things that you infer from stories that you hear as a kid. It's, you know, years and years of homilies in the Catholic church, which is, um, what do you call it in other churches, like the sermon? Mm-hmm. And it's things that you have just picked up and recognized as, you know, this is what a good person does. And this is what a good person doesn't do. And this is what integrity is. And this is what integrity isn't. And, you know, this is what being a child of God is. And this is what it isn't. And all of those things come into play in some way. And yeah, I think there is definitely tension between that. And it's, yeah, definitely been ongoing <laughs> for sure. The idea of what a child of God is and what a child of God isn't, that was really intriguing, the way that you said that. What have you found to be true in your unpacking of all of this? Um, did it line up with what you what was held out for you as far as what a child of God is, or have you found other ways to define that? I think I've definitely become more open to other ways to define that, um, very much so. Yeah. I mean, I think that phrase is really funny because it's not something that I heard on repeat growing up, but it's definitely something that has popped into my head when I kind of started to reconsider my upbringing in the church and sort of my place in the world and and what that means and what that looks like. And yeah, I definitely think there was this perspective growing up that only some people were, were part of that and only some people we're going to heaven and only some people really had a place in our world 
you know, and that was never stated explicitly. That was completely inferred through the storytelling. And as I said, through, um, you know, the lessons they were sharing about the Catholic Church's views on homosexuality and even, you know, on protecting a certain part of the world from diseases like AIDS and everything. I think to me, like as a kid growing up, I mean, this is super maybe controversial and I'm like, maybe going to regret saying it. But I think that that there was sort of this view of the world as some people are just not as worthy. Mm. And um, some people just just aren't going to make it to heaven. And that is because they are lesser or they are evil or they are wrongdoing. They are sinners in some way. Mm. And it was like, you know, and as a family, we traveled extensively and I have traveled the world. And it's just like, you know, I don't know how it did. I didn't really start to change that much until like the past probably five years or four years or so. But um, yeah, I think my perspective on that completely, completely different. So I think what it means to me now is that, you know, whether you say God or you say universe or whatever it is, is that we are all, you know, there's that quote that we are all much more similar than we are different and that we are all deserving and that we are all really like it's so cheesy, but to say we're all one, we are all one big community and that we are all deserving of a place in heaven and that we are all you know, welcome on this journey and that we should really all be there for one another rather than condemning one another, especially for things that we can't change. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I can identify with that on so many different layers, especially the idea of travel. I feel like that was something where, again, there's that push-pull type of experience. It was because of being involved with the church that I first started to travel because I did the short-term missions trips as a Mm -hmm. teenager. So it was one of those things of going, did we really do any good when we went Mm. and performed the drama? I'm not so sure. (laughs) But did we do good when we were playing with the kids at the orphanage? Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it just really depended on what our assignment was that day. But nevertheless, I will always be grateful for the experience as, you know, a 14-year-old American girl to be able to then go and to stand and actually serve in Haiti and mm-hmm. in Egypt and in Albania. You know, this was my my teenage years. I'll always be grateful for that, even though in retrospect, I also kind of like cringe a little bit of going, oh, what did we actually do? Um, but that's a different, mm-hmm. you know, different topic altogether. But yeah. there was something... <laughs> I think in that idea of seeing the world as so much bigger than what I've been told that it is, and yeah. then to that idea of the worthiness and, mm-hmm. you know, is it, is it our responsibility, uh, you know, within, as those within the church to somehow fix the rest of the world because they're not good enough on their own, right? Which, you know, there's another <laughs> layer to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then of course that gets into so many different other aspects to again our worldview and how mm-hmm. how we see things and how we see our responsibility. So that's mm-hmm. interesting. I think when you compare that with the idea of the value system that I completely share with you that we are all equal and that mm-hmm. we are all one in so much that we have in common versus the things that would would tear us apart. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, you mentioned the idea of the the meditation retreat. I remember mm-hmm. the first time I learned what the word namaste actually meant because, of course, growing up, anything that was considered new age was, like, you know, thrown into this big box and right. like, the padlock and the whole nine yards. Like, don't yeah. touch this. This is all off limits. <laughs> 
but the idea of the God in me honors the God in you mm-hmm. and just how beautiful. And I'm like, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we can probably find some scriptures to back that up. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I know, I know what they are. I just don't remember it off, my, <laughs> off the top of my head. But, you know, I think that was something for me, the more that I kind of stepped back from the religious perspective and found myself more spiritual than religious, mm-hmm. there was so much more consistency in what I was learning and experiencing that would go back to certain scriptures. And it was like, well, wait a second. The church tried to say X, Y, and Z, but the scripture says A, B, and C. And that right. resonates with me more. So that was a really interesting experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I completely, completely agree with that. I'm, <laughs> I find me, I will be totally honest. I find myself like wanting to tiptoe around a lot of this because the community that I host now is, you know, we're non-denominational. We don't get into religious talk really whatsoever. No religion, no politics. It's not a rule, but it just generally happens. Um, And so, yeah, I'm really hesitant to, in a way, and I think a lot of people find themselves here. You don't want to share anything that might exclude anyone or might make people think that you are, you know, promoting a religious community or anything like that, or one particular religion over another. And I think I found myself, as you were saying, like, you could probably find scripture to quote that. I was like, yeah, and you could probably find parts of the Quran to, you know, represent that or reflect that as well. And um, in the Torah, you know, there are so many others um, that are included in that as well. And I think that's why things like, you know, yoga are so attractive to so many different faiths and why there are so many people, you know, and the Buddhists are very welcoming, but why there were so many people in so many different um, faiths that were participating in that retreat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that idea that for me, and I don't know about you, um, in the Protestant church, the one... (laughs) The one that I grew up in uh, was non-denominational, and I thought oh. that meant that we were, like, pretty progressive and that we were really welcoming and, you know, all these other yeah. things. And, yeah, I was wrong. Um, so oh. come to find out that it was probably one of the most fundamental groups uh, within the entire, you know, organized religion thing, and it was all of the rules. It was the, you know, don't dance, don't drink, don't, you know, don't, 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 don't. All Where's of the ruler? The ruler that goes between people at a dance? Save room uh-huh. for Jesus. Oh, wait, wait, there's actually a dance you're allowed to go to? Oh, okay, never mind, no dance. No, 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 we did not have a prom my senior year. We had a banquet. Uh, so, I mean, it was really, it was kind of pathetic, but nevertheless, um, yeah, yeah, we didn't even want to bother about that. But the ruler, funny that you mentioned that. So I mentioned I went to the Charismatic University. Not mm-hmm. only was I a student there, but of course I was a resident advisor. So as a joke, but not really, there was a magnet that was uh, holding the ruler to my door, because of course we have all the metal doors in the old dormitory, and it is to, just in case you're concerned that you might be out of dress code, you can check it with the ruler. And it was a joke, kind of, uh, from my head resident advisor that was given to all of us. Um, But yeah, you couldn't really go anywhere on campus without somebody keeping an eye on, and usually I'm the one that has to keep the eye on everybody. You know, whether it was the proper length or the proper width on the shoulders or, you know, the whole nine yards. So growing up in that kind of environment and then trying to unlearn some of it, I think especially when it comes down to recognizing humanity for humanity's sake Mm -hmm. and not following the rules. And you mentioned even the idea of being very sensitive to the conversations. Mm -hmm. The first time that I really got a chance to talk to somebody outside of my faith or any sort of, you know, experience, because I remember 
kids, you know, as young as like four years old in Sunday school and them saying things like bring your unsafe friends to, to Sunday school. And I remember thinking, I'm not allowed to have any unsafe friends. Like everybody I know is in this church. It right. wasn't until what, three years ago that my dear friend who I consider in many ways, my work husband in the wedding industry is mm -hmm. of Muslim faith. And we actually got to have a real conversation and I'll never forget because I was setting up my Christmas tree. And so he's like, Oh, well, can I ask you some questions about this whole Christmas thing and like how mm -hmm. this works? And I was like, absolutely. And can I ask you some questions? And so it yeah. was just this beautiful conversation that I didn't have the opportunity to have until much later in my adult life because it just something simply wasn't something that was part of the community. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, the Catholic Church is very different uh, as far as like the language around saved, unsaved, any of that. I there's, I don't know what it is referred to in other churches, but there's no real <laughs> recruitment effort. I mean, besides like mission work, of course, the Catholic Church is like for mm. <laughs> half the world. But, but yeah, we weren't really encouraged to like necessarily bring people into the fold in the same way. To go um, and save the world by the weekend. Yeah. Well, I think it was just, it was framed differently. Mm. It was like, go out and protest abortion with your kids. And like, you know, some really controversial stuff that like at the time it was like, okay, we're going out to a march. And it was like, you know, I'm out there at like eight years old on the street corner and not knowing why people are throwing things at us. Right. <laughs> what is going on? So yeah. So we might not have been asked to like bring our unsaved friends to church, but we were definitely asked to go out into the world and you know, represent the Catholic beliefs in some way. So yeah, I can relate to it in that way. And I think not understanding, not understanding other people's beliefs or not just not even seeing that perspective mm. of the world and not knowing like, why are people yelling at us right. um, <laughs> when we're out at a right to life march or whatever? It was like, what is happening here? And so yeah, I think having conversations through university, I made a lot of Jewish friends. So I started to learn more about the Jewish faith and that really just opened up my eyes and my kind of world to like having another perspective on faith and religion and everything else. Yeah. So. I've always loved the different, the different pieces of celebration from other religions and other faiths. And I think that was probably the first place that I was starting to find something more to embrace and celebrate from people who didn't you know, have the same kind of belief system that I did or didn't have the same kind of background. Because I feel like if nothing else, the idea of being able to celebrate the life that we have, there's so much humanity in that. And there's so much God and goodness and universe and source and all of the good ooey gooey stuff mm -hmm. when we can celebrate who we are and these milestones that we get to have in life. So that for me, I think was probably one of the first ways in. But I love that you mentioned the right to life because I was right there with you. I don't remember how old I was. I want to say probably between the ages of eight and 12, that was something that happened, you know, kind of repeatedly. It was while I was homeschooled. And so that was labeled the, um, you know, the social activist type of activity or, yeah. you know, we would go to the mall and call it an economics field trip. Like everything had some way of being identified <laughs> within the homeschooling yeah. environment. But I remember I worked a, um, a right to life booth at, I want to say it was like a state fair or something like that. And I remember getting so upset that someone who was very, very, very pro-abortion chose our booth to come and ask for directions and then proceeded to get in a huge fight with me at age oh, no. of like 11 or whatever, because I was like, well, I don't know where that is, but do you want to sign our, our petition while you're here? Mm -hmm. And of course, she ripped me up one side and down the next. And it was just kind of like, well, hold on a second. 
you're the one that came to a booth that clearly says <laughs> what yeah. we're here for. Oh my goodness. But yeah. Then of course, you know, in retrospect, I'm like, what what could have else or what possibly could else have been going on in that moment that now as an adult I can turn back and look at? And, you know, me being so young, how else could I have handled that situation and what could I have learned about her or why she thought the way that she did. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, these are things that we never really, or at least for me, there was never a, any room to have an understanding of someone else who might have a different way of thinking or believing. It was just, this is what it is, and here's what we need to go out and do. And I think that's something I'll always be grateful for now, you know, again, in the unlearning and relearning process to find mm-hmm. the commonality. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think my parents modeled that pretty well. We didn't, we didn't go to those marches for very long. Um, (laughs) I kind of, I think it stopped by the time that I was, you know, I don't remember doing that many of them past maybe 10 or something. Um, And I don't know what that, you know, what prompted that for my parents or it was my mom really, because my dad didn't really come to church with us. Um, But yeah, I, I think they really modeled sort of opening up to the world in a different way. It didn't mean, you know, abandoning your faith and not going to church and not being part of the church. It just meant, I think, opening yourself up to possibilities and to like seeing how other people were living. It also didn't mean that how they were living was the right way to live. (laughs) It was just like that there are other things out there. Um, Just even acknowledging any differences as opposed to automatically condemning it without having any sort of understanding or seeing things for what they were. Right. Yeah. So what does that look like for you now in terms of, you know, spirituality and religion and church and community? Where do you find that you get fed, so to speak? I mean, that's kind of a religious way to say if you're in church, you knew what I meant. Um, But just that idea of like, you know, where where do you feed your soul? Yeah. Um, So for me, like I'm like, (laughs) it comes through my community. It comes through, like I do still occasionally go to church, um, but I wouldn't call myself like a religious person necessarily. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm comfortable even saying like spiritual, but I guess that would be maybe the term. Um, and I know a lot of like Christian and Catholic friends and people that might say, well, you can't be like religious and spiritual because those are totally different things and whatever else, but um, or the judgment kind of is coming in. I'm hearing the judgy voices in the background. <laughs> um, so I think where I kind of feed my soul now is in surrounding myself with people that are um, living the same values that I hold to my heart. And I think, you know, having the practices that allow me to best connect with them. And, um, so we talked about this, like I have this community of women who all happen to be female entrepreneurs um, and we gather together and, um, you know, people have asked like how I curate that group because it's by invitation and I curate it through, you know, it has nothing to do with their faith. Like I don't even know, like we have women of all different faiths um and and different backgrounds and races and religions and whatever else any all those things um but it's through a set of values and I think that those values have helped me to continue to like feed my soul in a way so our values have a really cheesy acronym but it's like glass it's not even cheesy it just makes no sense um but all of our women in this community are 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 generous and they're lifelong learners and they're adventurous and courageous and they are purpose-filled, and they are humble, and they are fun, and all of those things really um, help me to recognize when there is somebody who would be a good fit for our community, and because all of our women embody those values, I find myself just surrounded by people 
that are generous, not just financially and with their time, but of their hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so willing to, to give before they, I mean, they don't even ask, but <laughs> just so willing to give and to pour into one another. Um, and so for right now, like I don't have a church community or anything right now, really. And um, that community is, is really what uh, has me thriving in so many ways. And I feel so very lucky for that. And um, and I know that that's possible for other people to create for themselves as well, or to find that for themselves, whether it be in a church community or faith-based community, or whether it's, you know, a non-denominational community that is just full of really supportive, kind, caring, wonderful human beings. So, yeah. I love that. And I love the idea of the commonality of the values, because mm-hmm. really that's something that we can set apart that has nothing to do with any of the other, whether it's socioeconomic or, mm-hmm. you know, their background, their race, their religion, any of it, yeah. it really, I feel like that's where we can blend what we were told to be, you know, again, with the air quotes and who we yeah. choose to be. But that's really, you know, I feel like kind of where the rubber meets the road. It's the values that we choose to identify with and then how mm-hmm. we personify those and how we actually live those out in a day-to-day life, that's the kind of stuff that I think really makes the difference about who we think we are versus who we really are. Yeah, definitely. And I think like knowing your values is so, so important for people and to do check-ins with yourself. And maybe that's something too, that I don't just check in with our community and know that I'm surrounding myself with those people, but that I check in with myself, you know, am I being, am I putting generosity first? Am I giving first? You know, am I continuing to learn or am I judging this person or the situation because I've shut myself off from it in some way? Um, you know, is this a purposeful activity? Is there something behind this that is giving to more than just myself and, you know, all of those things. Yeah. I think it's like essential. So whether it's like, you know, your values because you were taught them in a church um, or a mosque or a temple or anything, or whether you have as an adult been able to recognize those yourself, I think those are really important things to live by. Absolutely. How did you personally come to identify those values for yourself? That was a long process too. (laughs) I I still reassess those and think like, you know, when I find myself out of alignment, especially if there's somebody that is coming into our community or somebody that I have a conversation with when I'm like, it just did not rub me the right way. Like, what is it? Did I miss something? Cause I'm like running, I always run through those in my head when I'm talking to a woman, when we have like prospective uh, community member calls and stuff. And I'm like, well, she fit the bill for all those things, but there's just something rubbing. And so I'm just constantly reassessing um, whether or not I've missed something in that definition. But for me, I don't even know how I first came up with them. I think I just started really small. I started with a list that, you know, has changed over time, but I just started with like three of them. And then I needed to redefine them because I needed them to kind of encompass more than what was just on that list and, and for it to mean something. I think one of them was love. And I was like, what does that even mean? You know, <laughs> <laughs> love is great, but like, what does it look like? And how, you know, how would I recognize love in another human to know whether or not we should have a working relationship or whether they would make a great friend or you know, all those things. So yeah, it's just a slow and steady process. And um, gosh, I think like there was a reflection activity that I did um, back when I was starting my first business about four years ago and I had a mentor and I think we did it in that, like in a mentorship session. Um, and it was just to kind of look at the times in your life when you have thrived most. Um, I could probably even find it and share it with you, but it's, it's one of those things where you reflect back on like situations and times in your life when you were thriving and you, when you felt most like yourself or whatever it was, and to look at, um, you know, what was strongest, what were some of the strongest values that were coming up for you then? Um, and then to look at your friends and your circle and the people that you admire most and what are some of their strongest values. And that 
kind of helped me to get going on that whole values definition thing. <laughs> I love that. I love mm-hmm. that. I have one with my kids. Um, oh, so we have this gigantic, like six or eight foot long bulletin board that takes up the whole length of our hallway. That's and this amazing. is our vision board. And it is so much fun. But we actually did a visioning exercise. I want to say it was probably about a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even, no, 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 excuse me. That's not, that's not right. It was a couple of years ago, but we redid mm-hmm. it within, within the last year. And it was really, I love the idea of having this reflection piece because we did, you know, a bit of this, like, what were the high highs in the past year? What were the mm-hmm. low lows? And really being able to be a bit more vulnerable with each other, you know, even mm-hmm. with their teenagers. So like, sometimes they're going to tell me everything. And then sometimes they're telling me nothing, you know, it, yeah. just kind of, it depends whatever the day might, might be. Totally. But to really get them to kind of connect with themselves and how they felt those experiences went. And then we literally put it all on paper to find where we overlapped. And so we were able to narrow down these four elements and they are the cornerstone of our vision board now. So it's so much fun because every time we go down the hall, you're almost always going to catch someone staring at something that catches their eye on this giant vision board. I love that. that. We get to keep in front of us all the time. That is so cool. So what are yours? Ours are, let's see, so the very first one was kindness and respect, Um, and that came when the kids were really young. Uh, They were four and five when I separated from their dad, and so it was this idea, let's be honest, there was a little bit of a mom guilt trip there of, are you treating your sibling with kindness and respect? But that was the great Mm -hmm. thing about values, because you can hold them out as this third entity that has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. This is the goal. This is the objective. Um, So that was a really great parenting little, you know, back door there. Um, Love it. So kindness and respect, um, (laughs) laughter and friendship, uh, positivity, bias, and growth mindset, and awareness and empathy and action. So those are our four. We kind of we kind of cheated a little bit because all of them have ands. So we, yeah. we actually kind of have eight, but they're in four buckets. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I love that. And I love that's on your wall. And I think that's, you know, something I would love to model if and when I finally have kids. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's funny because the whole, like, when I really got to the point, I was working with an amazing person on Feng Shui as well. At the same time, we're reworking the board. And she's like, you should really reorganize your vision board according to your gloss for the Feng Shui. I was like, all right, let's do it. So again, all three of us, we sit down and we, we go through everything. Come to find out the two areas that we don't have enough content to fill. Mm-hmm. One of them would be that of relationships when it came to me. And I was like, oh, so maybe I need to acknowledge that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah huh. so that was an interesting, even, even just, I think, that idea of developing the clarity to really understand, you know, again, that shared value system. But what does it look like? You know, if I say that I want partnership, what does that really mean? What can I show as a picture that is going to identify that same kind of emotion or that same kind of value system. So mm-hmm. it was a really fun experience, you know, not only for myself, but then also to pattern that for the kids. That was, that yeah. was a pretty, pretty fun moment. And I think it gave us another aspect of our spirituality that we hadn't had a way for that to show up before. So that was fun. That is really cool. I love that idea. I love that. I mean, I think that also plays into like the reflection and then also celebration of, you know, all of this year's highs and accomplishments and all those things. Um, It's so important to keep practicing. So 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's something, especially as entrepreneurs, we're not always very good at celebrating. And there's usually so much to celebrate, but there's always like another deliverable or another deadline right behind that. So it's just kind of like, yeah, this was great. And then fast forward, here's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I definitely see that. I think that's something, and I wonder too, like how much of that is again, this idea of the drive, you know, the, mm-hmm. the constant, um, maybe approval seeking and in, in my case specifically, um, but they just thinking more about that idea of be here now. It's something that I'm always so grateful for that balancing act of the meditation and the mindfulness and the journaling and, you know, all of the tools that we use, it's really, they're just that they're tools to remember to kind of come back to this moment and who we are right now and who we're choosing to be. Yeah, definitely. I love all of that. And I yeah, love that it's so like so, such a vision, like visible, visible <laughs> in your house that it's like right there in the hall. Like, I'm like, hmm, where can I put that? <laughs> you know, like make some beautiful sign or something. There you go. Yeah. It just, even the creative process, I think. And, and I'm curious again, because I hear so much, that I can identify, you know, within your story as well as having that creative piece and how both of us have this history of bringing people together and creating experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's something I wonder too, you know, kind of how, how, who we were has helped shape us in that particular field in that way of being because we recognize something maybe a little bit differently than, than maybe the way other people think, but really mm-hmm. about that experience piece. Um, I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. And I think for me, a lot of that is about inclusiveness. Um, And that's something that we're striving for in the community. Like I will be honest, among female entrepreneurs, you know, it's not a very visible, visibly diverse community yet. Um, And we do have, we do have like visible diversity. But um, if you look at female entrepreneurs making over, you know, 500K, like it's, there's just not enough visible Mm. minorities or women of color in that community. And so for me, it's about being inclusive with all women, uh, with all people who identify as women, whether, you know, they're part of the LGBTQ 3S plus community or 2S plus, sorry, (laughs) Um, or, you know, they're, they're, you know, coming from, we have women from all over the world that fly in for this. Um, And so, yeah, I think for me, like doing what I'm doing is about yeah, creating that experience and creating an inclusive way for people to come together and to share and to learn from one another. So, yeah. I, I love that. And I love the intentionality because what rings mm-hmm. true is such a humility in that and just a grace and an openness that I think really personifies all the things that we want to be. You know, when we talk about choosing who we are and, and who we identify as, I think that there's something in each of us that really want to be able to live that out and to have that kind of inclusivity and that kind of openness. Uh, so thank mm-hmm. you for creating that because I think that that's a, such a huge piece to the kind of legacy that we can create in the world and the kind of difference that we can make simply by hospitality and, you know, really practicing that open arms kind of idea and sit down and have another cup of coffee and, you know, whatever yeah, the case might totally. be, but, you know, that just, it's so beautiful. So thank you for that, Alexis. That's pretty awesome. Thank you for doing that too. <laughs> it's kind of funny how like conversations like this help you reframe the work that you're doing. Cause I always thought that just like, you know, it was kind of self-serving to like host a retreat or whatever, surround myself with all these awesome people that I just really wanted to do that. But then it's like, as you put it, you know, and as I'm starting to recognize by creating an inclusive environment and 
as you have in your work as well, by creating that inclusive environment, by, you know, practicing hospitality, you're doing a lot more than just like having fun with people, but you're creating that community where people can really fall back into for support um, and nourishment and, you know, whether they're feeding their mind or their body or their soul or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. Thank you for framing it that way. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. If nothing else, I feel like whether, no matter which, which different project I'm involved in, whether it's recovering church girls or the single parent summit or, you Mm -hmm. know, any of these other components, it really comes down to this idea that none of us are alone or isolated, even though sometimes we may feel like it. And I think that there are so many of us, especially within this idea of recovering church girls, whether again, girls or guys, non-binary, there are all Mm -hmm. so many different stories and we can find each other in our stories. Uh, And I think that that's important to be able to have that conversation where we can say, Hey, this is what I experienced. And I'm, you know, trying to figure out what that means now or how to, how to process all of that and, and what to choose now. Uh, yeah. So yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think it's like, I'm constantly trying to figure out what it means. And this is, like I said, this is a scary conversation to me. I have never said anything publicly about any of my own religious beliefs. Uh, and I don't know that I really totally did in this conversation, but I think it's really important to have these conversations. And I, I think, yeah, as you said, like people will hear at your podcast and know that they are not alone in this and and that others are out there feeling this way too so yeah well thank you for trusting me and trusting us with your own story in this um and just you know to continuing that conversation so thank you for that that is an honor because i get it i mean especially in the entrepreneur world sometimes we have to be really careful because our reputations are very much, you know, a huge piece of who we are and how we show up in the world, but it makes a difference into the kind of work that we can do and the community that we create and those that we're able to serve. And so, you know, on one hand, there's the idea of, well, you want to polarize everyone, they either want them to love you or hate you. But when you're trying intentionally to build something that is inclusive, Mm -hmm. you have to take a much more careful approach and not to say that we're hiding who we are or what we believe but that we're really intentional about how we communicate it so that we do protect that kind of inclusivity because that's so crucial to what we're both doing. Yeah, completely. So Alexis, thank you so much for this. And for those of you who are listening, uh, you know that as much as we love the subscribes and the rates and the reviews, and that's all great, really, we want you to share the conversation. If this resonated with you, share it with another friend that you'd really love to open up to and be able to, again, continue that conversation and share your own story because we can find each other in our stories and then we can continue that conversation in a safe place and get to grow and expand together. And that's really what's it, what it's all about. So Alexis, thank you again so much for being a part of this. Thank you. This was great. I loved it. Well, happy to have you. We will see you guys again <laughs> soon. Bye-bye. Awesome. All right. Bye.